All right, everybody. Welcome back to Nebraska Hawks Nest. I'm here with former Iowa basketball standout, Adam Haleska. Adam, how's it going, man? It's good. I, I'm ready for this winter to be over, though. I'm telling you, it's it's been brutal. Oh, I know you guys are dealing with blackouts today, and it's uh, I've had enough. I, I'll be happy if we make it through with no blackouts. I mean, it's <laughs> it's not good. So if everything just goes black during this, like eh, we'll know why, and we'll have to get restarted. But yeah, this winter's been terrible. So I'm, I'm ready for everybody was blaming it on 2020. It's 2021's carrying it over from 2020. It looks like it's not um, getting any better. Not 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 yet, at least. So just positive vibes, though. Keep hoping for it to to get better soon enough. Um, wanted to start out asking you right away about your recruiting process at a high school. Um, ended up going with Iowa State for um, at the beginning. Uh, who were the schools that were really hot on you um, to start out with? Um, and who were you really considering? How did that recruitment process go? And what eventually steered you toward Iowa State? So first of all, I- First off, I, I grew up a huge Hawkeye fan, right? That was uh, my entire family, grandparents, everybody was huge Hawkeye fans. Uh, but going through that process, I grew up in Carroll, which is like 60 miles west of Ames. Um, Eustachie was newer to the the program at Iowa State. Alford had just taken over at Iowa. And, you know, I think they really, both schools tried to draw really a radius around the state and kind of that Midwest to go after the top talent. Uh, after having a good freshman year, in high school, uh, sort of getting recruited by, you know, Iowa, Iowa State, Drake, you and I, Creighton, um, some of those schools. And Iowa State really wanted to make a staple, you know, wanted to really kind of get a recruit uh, from the state of Iowa. Uh, Jeff Horner committed to Iowa right after his freshman year. And, you know, Iowa was telling me to be patient, but Iowa State was coming into my school. They're you know, coming to workouts in the morning. They were, I was going over to Ames to go play, you know, pick up with guys like Pfizer, Tinsley, um, you know, some good players. It was. And once again, it was an open door policy being 60 miles away from home. I I was going over there twice a week, some days going and playing pickup. And um, I didn't think I had to make a decision too early, but Larry really put the full court press on and wanted a decision before my sophomore year, you know, and kind of said, Hey, if, if you don't take it, and I know that you're an Iowa fan. I mean, growing up being a Hawkeye, you, yeah. you want to play there. But once again, you got to do what's right for you and your college. Um, you know, I felt like he kind of said, hey, if you don't take this now, there may not be a scholarship six months from now. You know, I've got to fill this spot in a couple of years and it's yours if you take it. So that's really kind of what led me to jump on a decision early um, and go with the Cyclones and, you know, Alford and, you know, his dad at the time, um, Sam had kind of said, Hey, are you sure you want to do this? Right. We just haven't seen you enough. It's not that you're not going to get a scholarship from us, but they literally had not watched me live other than like a future stars event. So, uh, I said I was good with it and, you know, long story short, I, I still think it was the right move at the right time. And, um, it definitely made me a better, stronger player and it all worked out in the end and ended up going to the black and gold. Thankfully, thankfully, Uh, it was it was a good move for uh, both parties. Uh, with with you deciding to make that change and transfer into Iowa, um, and, and help me out if I'm wrong with the timeline a little bit because obviously you lived it. Um, with Eustachie being um, 
stepping down as head coach and resigning after um, some of the noted issues that he had had. Uh, how big of a role did that play in, into you deciding to uh, move on to the University of Iowa? It was kind of a weird year um, just altogether. There was a lot of stuff kind of going on internally. You know, those photos that kind of surfaced on Larry and being down at the University of uh, Missouri and a bunch of other things, I can remember as a player back then our emails weren't censored and so a lot of times like if you were in school at the time and you wanted to email me you could type in my name in a search bar and get my iowa state email i can remember playing down in columbia coming back the next day and i had a slew of emails from uh missouri uh students and it was all these pictures of you stacy with these you know at these college wow. parties and those ended up being the the pictures that came out in the register what's funny is I shouldn't say funny, but what's interesting is like, I thought they were doctored or they were fake, right? And okay. you, you get emails and you're thinking, oh, it's not a big deal. A couple other guys got them too. And I kind of chalked it up as, you know, whatever that, that was kind of people being goofy and that all kind of went away. And then all of a sudden at the end of the year, that became a big deal when the register ran that, ran that story. And yeah, so connecting everything when he left, there still was a lot of stuff going on where guys hadn't been going to class you know, they, I think they were looking for the right coach to, to step in. And, you know, I, I think they'd offered a few people that ended up not taking it. So for me, I kind of had to reevaluate my decision. I'm like, Hey, I came here for Iowa state for, you know, to be with this coaching staff, to play with these guys, a ton of uncertainty. I just wanted to go to school, play basketball, get my degree, get better. And, uh, I really felt like Iowa, you know, if I stayed at Iowa State, there was probably a good chance that I was going to play for three coaches in four years, which would have ended up happening. But, yeah. you know, moving on, I was able to pretty much play with guys that I was familiar with, with Jeff Horner, Greg Bruner, uh, Mike Henderson, Carlton Reed. I mean, those are guys that I knew. So it ended up working out. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's it's definitely looked back on, you know, one of the major turning points um, of, of Iowa basketball. Um, you know, things really kicked into gear with that class. and. Um, so, you know, that was that ended up being an awesome move for everybody involved. Um, those pictures, like you talked about, they it almost looks like they were doctored. It was like it was almost surreal. You know, you take a look and, and see them. It's like, can this be real? Like, this has got to be fake there. Somebody's got some pretty legitimate Photoshop skills because um, and to think like, you know, that he that that wouldn't ever get out posing with pictures and having your arms around other students and stuff like that. Yeah, like, it just. He had to have been in a pretty tough, you know, um, situation um, with with the illness and everything that he was going through with alcoholism and everything. So, um, you know, it's good though that he got the help that he needed, and um, hopefully, you know, hopefully he's doing better right now. W was that something as a player when you were at Iowa State that there was any sort of inclination that there was any any kind of, any type of problem with Coach Eustace when you were playing? No, I. With him and the staff, there was no, I mean, we, when we came, everybody was ready to go. Everybody was extremely professional. There was no, uh, I guess I didn't notice anything different. And granted, I was 18 and, you know, pretty, yeah. uh, pretty naive to the world. But no, he, he always had us come be ready. It was two different styles. He ran a, a, a different program where, you know, even in the offseason, you didn't see Larry a lot for, you know, individual workouts. A lot of the assistants did a lot of things. And then as the season kind of came together, that's when he really got involved. Um, but no, he, he always treated me well. The university over there, I, Iowa State's a great spot. My brother ended up going and playing there. His wife 
uh, played basketball there. Uh, they were both from Carroll. Um, I got enough good thing. I mean, Iowa State's a great place to, to go to school, play basketball. But, you know, for me, once again, living out a dream to wear the black and gold, uh, this is yeah. definitely the place I wanted to be. Yeah, that's uh... – you definitely had to deal with a little bit of ramifications for that transfer. <laughs> um, tell tell us a little bit about uh, playing in Hilton Coliseum your first time, getting booed relentlessly. I mean, they were on you, and ch- they were chanting Rogaine at Bruner, and they were just like on your guys' cases. What what type of atmosphere was like that like playing in that arena? Well, what kind of was – all right, so the first time I played at Carver would have been my sophomore year. I had to sit out my – um when I first came over and transferred we beat them uh in uh in Iowa City that first time so then going back that would have been my junior year Greg and Jeff's senior year um you're right they were all over us and the hard part was Jeff had just gotten hurt Horner towards PCL uh against you and I a, a game or two before that so we go into a hostile environment against a good Iowa State team without our you know all Big Ten point guard and you know we ended up not coming away with the win but I just remember I took everything with a grain of salt. Like I, I understood the passion and, and how good of fans they had over there. I understand if the rules were reversed, Iowa people would be doing the same. So I tried not to take it too personal, but uh, that was probably the toughest environment to play in, you know, playing Illinois, Michigan State, all these arenas. That was yeah. one of the toughest nights. Those fans, I tell you what, I'm the farthest thing from an Iowa State fan, but I am blown <laughs> away every time I go to Ames. Like, there's not a lot of uh, – basketball's a different story, but otherwise they don't do a whole lot of winning except for recently in football. And those fans, they are relentless, die hard, the most loyal fans ever. So I, yeah. I got a lot of respect for that fan base because they stay – they stick true to their team and they don't waver at all. So um, – they're having a tough basketball season this yep. year, but their football program, you know, they got a heck of a coach right now and they're, they're definitely on the climb for sure. Um, wanted to ask you too, um, one of the darkest times in my life and uh, I'm sure it wasn't easy for you. March 17th, 2006, the mm-hmm. um, day uh, to be exact, number three, Iowa, number 14, Northwestern state. There's a man by the name of uh, Jermaine Wallace. Um, not a big fan of him. And probably great guy, probably great guy. Yep. Um, hits a, a fadeaway three-pointer at the last second. Um, literally felt my heart stop beating for about four or five seconds as I collapsed to the ground. Um, it was tough on us as fans. Had to have been a hundred times harder for you being there. Can you walk us through that game? Uh, that was a premier, pretty senior heavy team you were going against yeah. with a lot of experience. Um, so that wasn't like a typical, like, Hey, this is an easy first round matchup. Like they were senior heavy and they were experienced. Uh, can you walk us through that game and um, you know what that was like to uh, walk out with uh, such a disappointing loss? So I'll kind of back us up a little bit. Um, that when we won the Big Ten tournament uh, against Ohio State, we were at the field house there. They usher us in the locker room, having a little team meeting. And then, you know, we're the last game before uh, they announced the brackets. So they took us into like kind of a party room and had the cameras all around. We're sitting there and we're going to be filmed as our name comes across, right? Since we're an automatic bid. And I can remember that coming across three seed, which we were, I mean, we wanted to be anywhere three or better. And yeah. we knew kind of winning that Big Ten uh, tournament was going to get us there. And I look over and uh, Paul Weir, 
was our, our GA, our graduate assistant. And he's now coaching at New Mexico, but Paul had been at Northwestern state the year before. Okay. So he was, so we were familiar with just some of his history on, you know, talking about different guys or, Hey, this team's the real deal. Like they're good looking at him. He kind of had that like, Oh crap moment. Like this team's better than a 14 seed. And that's not a great seed. Not that he's thinking we we're going to get upset, but he's like, geez, out of all the teams, that's a team we got, you know, that, that got picked to be our first round uh, game. So I didn't take them lightly. I mean, Paul did a lot of the scout stuff along with the, the assistants. We had plenty of game tape, senior heavy team. They weren't scared of us. Obviously, we weren't scared of them. But I, I think it's one of those where, like I tell people, we had a almost a 20-point lead first half, same thing in the second half. They take us off the air. I mean, that's back when you only had a few stations that were plugging in games. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's one of those where when you're stepping on their throat, you shouldn't have to worry about next game. And I'm not saying we were, but we probably should have said, Hey, let's, let's not even worry about substitution patterns. Let's, let's run this thing up and, yeah. and win as much as we can. Right. And I'm sure in the coach's mind and, and everybody's mind, you're thinking, Hey, we play in two days. If you walk away with this win, especially having a huge first half and being up big in the second half, um, it's a lesson learner. I mean, that's what makes that tournament special. Anybody can beat anybody on any given night. Um, I think some of the underdog teams have a huge advantage because you go in just like North or uh, you and I, Ali Farouk Manesh makes a big shot against Kansas. When you're not supposed to win those big games like that, you're playing carefree. And I mean, you could say they tightened up a little bit at times, but they weren't scared of us. They came out there. They weren't supposed to win that game anyway. And yeah, uh, yeah to, to lose on a last second shot on a team that Horner had just gotten better, right? The, the last stretch of that big 10, season uh he took his lineman brace off he had a broken rib he was healthy we ran through the big 10 tournament i honestly thought if we were going to have an elite eight final four run i mean that's what all of us were talking about this was the time to do it and once again putting my hawkeye you know fan and you know black and gold colors on i wanted that for hawkeye fans more than i wanted it for our team i i i thought we deserved an elite eight final four run we had the team and the firepower to do it and, uh, you know, to have it lose on a last second shot where you lead the entire game, I still haven't watched that game in its entirety. I've, I've no. watched bits and pieces, but I pretty much refuse to go back and watch that game because I, it, it would make me sick. And yeah, I know I'm doing a lot of talking, but if you, you know, anytime we start having beers or whiskeys and you get Bruner Horner to those guys around, I, if conversations move into that, I mean, you can just see it's we're still best friends and kind of brothers for life. But I mean, it's always going to be something that affects us um, every time, especially when March comes around. Yeah, and I think that's just uh, that's extremely classy that you're still even willing to talk about it. And that was, you know, that's a t- it was a tough moment for everybody involved. And you know, that was back in the day. I still had a my my cell phone was a flip phone, so I still you know had one of those, and I yep. I, th- I threw it up against the wall and shattered the thing. And uh, <laughs> I, I was in college. I was in college, and I couldn't afford to get a new one, so I went. For uh, about a solid month without a cell phone, finally got one fired back up, and I had a lot of friends who were like, "Where have you been, man? For like the last month, we haven't been able to get a hold of you. Go straight to voicemail." I'm like, I dropped off the face of the earth after after the Hawks first round upset. Well, it's funny. It's funny too, as I've gotten older, and obviously sports gambling has gotten a lot bigger, right? With it being legalized and just all the different apps and betting sites, it's funny to, to hear people talk about that was my worst bet or my worst beat. Um, even one yeah. of my best friends, Sean, uh, who lives here in Corville, 
you know, he's, he always kind of chuckles where he was at that time, watching the game, had a bunch of money riding on it. And, you know, that being one of his biggest defeats, it's kind of funny to, <laughs> it's not funny, but it's interesting to hear those stories because, you know, once again, as a player, yeah. you're looking to get the win. And these guys are talking about point spreads and covering. And I mean, everybody thought we were going to win that game, including us. And yeah, it, it definitely didn't happen. I remember, um, you know, every first round matchup, especially they have a big write up and evaluation on it and they match up both teams. And there was a lot of experts that were like, Hey, like this is a pretty strong Iowa team, but if they're going to get upset yeah. that they could, it could happen here. And, you know, they, they definitely echoed what you had said that Northwestern state was a lot better than a 14 seed and, and should have been ranked higher. So, um, well, and but, I think it's important too, when you talk about the seed, what was going to, what were the next games after that? Right. I think it was, uh, West Virginia with like Mike Gansey and those guys. I mean, we could see the route that, you know, the path that had laid being a three seed. And I thought the opportunity to just keep advancing in rounds, I, there was nobody in that year that I think we were concerned about. I think we were playing as good a ball and, and everybody was healthy. Uh, that was going to be a big run. Um, to compare a little bit about to the current team right now, um, how do you think that, um, your team, uh, during that junior year that, um, you know, losing in the first round, uh, would compare and match up against the current Iowa team that, you know, I would say these are the two teams in the last, you know, at least 20 years, maybe more your team and the, and the current team this year that are probably the two best Iowa basketball teams in the last, in the last two decades. How do you feel like you guys would match up against this team and got to ask, who do you think is going to come out on top? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this team right now is so much deeper and had more scoring. You know, if you run through our starting lineup, really uh, Horner, myself, deep ball threats, um, could shoot, you know, drive. Mike Henderson was a, a point guard too, or off guard. Um, maybe not as much of an outside shooting threat, but definitely big time defender. Um, Eric Hansen was huge in the paint for us. He could score when he needed to, but you know, didn't have the size of like a Luca Garza, but really had length and did a good job yeah. blocking. And just, I, mean, I think he was defender of the year in the big 10. He always reminded me guy, of Sean Bradley a little bit. He, what they call him, the Mantis, or he had some nickname, but yeah, he, just that reach. It was longer than people think, and he was quick off his feet. And that that's another thing, like some of the what you those guys come in and you can't teach timing, you can't teach, you know, some of that quick stuff off, you know, his his footing off the ground. Eric was just a really good defender and almost even a better screener. I mean, that's one thing in our offense that we ran the motion. Uh, Eric gets a lot of credit for getting us open. I mean, he did a, a lot of great things on offense to make that flow. And then, you know, Doug Thomas was another guy that came off the bench, um, gave us huge minutes. He was six man a year. Uh, after that, you know, we had like Carlton Reed. We had Alex Thompson. I just don't think we had the depth that this team has now. I mean, look at the guys we're bringing off the bench that can yeah. throw in 15, 20 points, like a Nunji or you've got Patrick <clears throat> McCaffrey's had some big games. I mean, even some of the good guards like Tucson, they're they're just loaded, and everybody can shoot it. So you've got to come out and defend. I think. Oh, looks like we lost Adam there. Black. Yeah, you, you went, went black, black there for a minute. <laughs> I thought it, I thought we were hitting blackout right there. I was worried. We're good. I think it was All just right, a man. call coming through. You um, scared me there. I'm like his power went out. Uh. 
I think this team would be a tough team to beat. I, I, I don't know. If, I don't want to take anything away from Moss, but they're two entirely different teams, in my opinion. We we just we did not have that kind of depth that they had. And once again, if this Iowa team now gets hot like they did, you know, these this last game, they're going to be a tough out. Yeah, I, I hope so. And we really hope they go on a big run with all the potential that they have. And um, it seems like they're starting to get things clicking right now again. And, you know, during a basketball season, like, you know, there's always so many ups and downs and they went through a little skid there, losing about four out of five and um, getting CJ Frederick back in yep. with a great shooter and defender uh, made, made a huge difference. Um, wh- one thing we wanted to ask you about too, um, Jeff, Jeff Horner, co- coach Horner. Now um, yep. I know you keep in pretty good touch with him. How's his health and h- how's he doing? He's doing great. Uh, he's got a clean bill of health almost a year now out good. and um, good. Yeah, had, had testicular cancer, got through that, got through, you know, surgery, chemo. And uh, he's got a great family. He's down in Kirksville. They're, uh, they're doing great things. He, I know COVID's kind of hit that team a couple times this year, but they were ranked as high as maybe fourth or fifth in the country in division two. And uh, they ended up winning the tournament last year and won the conference outright. I think that that was the first time that's been done in, decades there yeah. so he, he's going to be a big time coach i i he's at a great spot down there i hope he stays but i i gotta think that somebody's going to be missing the boat by having him on staff he uh he's definitely a special special player special person but i think he's going to be an incredible coach as years uh years go by what are the odds he picks up the phone and gives you a call and he's like adam Let's get the band back together. I need an assistant. <laughs> Let's get out. I, I need you, man. And, you know, it's a it's a big-time D1 job. You gotta ha- you're going to have to have a little bit of like, ugh, you know, that would be tempting. What would you do if he gave you that call? I don't think he's going to give me the call. I'm, I'm fin- doing financial advising. I'm pretty solid and established here in eastern Iowa. So uh, I, I'll come to as many games as I can, depending on the location. So I'll be there to – support him and help him. But uh, yeah, he's, he's networking. And those guys, once you get into that, you're going to have guys, you know, filled into the recruiting pipelines. You're going to want all that established when you take over a big program, or even if you're a top assistant, you know, you've got to have guys on your staff that, you know, uh, are, are entirely plugged in. I've got four kids. Yeah. And I am, I'm busy enough the way it is. So <laughs> I, I think he knows better than to give me a call. Can't help but to like just fantasize about how cool that would be. You know, bring in Bruner. You guys are coaching together. How cool that would be. What talk, it's been it's been talked about. Don't think it hasn't. We okay. Was, you know, when you're talking about planning and all that stuff years ago, it was brought up. But once again, as you get further down in life, he's. I mean, Jeff's. He's been at North Dakota. Well, first he was at Valley in Des Moines. Then we went to, yeah, he went to North Dakota. Now he's there. I mean, it, you're seeing the struggles of you know, somebody that is trying to make his way and he's winning at every level he's been at. Um, it just takes time. And, you know, his family's got two great kids, wife, uh, it's a journey. So yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's putting in his time and it's, it's going to pay off. It's just a matter of timing for him. What's old Bruner up to these days. He works for principal, uh, financial group in, in Des Moines. He works okay. out of Norway. He lives in Norwalk. He's got, uh, three kids and, Great wife, good family. So it's good to see uh, everybody doing well. I love that guy. Man, he was a bruiser. <laughs> he was fun you to want, watch. You want play. to get him on the show. He's he's more entertaining than me. 
I, I, I'm trying. I've been texting with him. We've been talking a little bit. So I think we just finally locked down a locked down a time. But um, in, you included, he's one of my favorites because the guy was so consistent. Every yep. game he played, I mean, he was he reminded me a lot of Jess Settles, but with maybe a little bit of a better outside shot, you know, from the it, I, he was he was a blast to watch play. So um, I, I just remembered um, and I, you know, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I got a little emotional back at that NCAA tournament loss. And I, I remember just that game and <clears throat> not to say not everybody played hard, but I don't know that I've ever seen anyone play as hard as I saw Greg Bruner play in that game. I mean, he was all out playing every single play. I, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody dig as deep yeah. and play as hard as that guy. Uh, I just got a ton of respect for him. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with those guys. Like I, I granted, I'm a little part, I know we're Nebraska Hawks nest, but you know, I think Iowa Midwest people, um, you know, we were always the underdogs. We always went out there to play hard. Nothing was ever given. You know, I think that's what made us good is every time we came into a game or a situation, you know, we were considering ourselves the underdog, right? No one was ever going to give us anything for free. Uh, we were going to take what we could. And that's kind of the mindset Bruner had. He grew up in Charles City, Iowa. Just, you know, maybe wasn't over-recruited, uh, maybe under-recruited. Just, you know, he was a big-time player. And I remember uh, my first year out, uh, first or second year out, I was in summer league with New Orleans. And Greg was with, uh, I believe, the Timberwolves. He was playing at a high level. And I'm telling you, I, he deserved a shot in that league. I mean, I know they always say he's a little undersized, but he had long, long arms, great wingspan, but he had a high motor. And, you know, he could play at 260, 255. I mean, he, the weight didn't bother him. He could still explode. And, you know, mm -hmm. he had a shot at that time where he was starting to develop an outside shot. Um, you're right. I mean, guys like that, especially being a shooting guard, you want to have guys like that on your team setting screens and oh, rebounding yeah. and kicking the ball out. I mean, he was a good, unselfish player. If he was within two feet of the basket with the ball in his hands, it, it was nothing like majestic and beautiful, but the guy throws some pump fakes and he would get it done every single time. He was He's the picture. Yep. Yeah, the picture of consistency for sure. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your relationship with Coach Alford. Um, with him um, leaving Iowa, going down to New Mexico, and um, you know he's had a little bit of a journey. I mean, coaches, dude, that's for most coaches. Yep. They you're all over the place. It's just the, you know, the, how the, how the profession goes, how's your relationship with coach Alford right now? And um, how often do you guys keep in contact? And um, you know, when he left Iowa too, did you have any conversations with him about what his thought process was when he moved on? I think he knew kind of timing, right? We didn't make that big run. Um, you know, with my junior year, Greg and Jeff senior year, um, new administration that came in, right? Barter came in, uh, Bowlesby initially hired him. And, I, you know, there was just a lot of stuff that went on. The Pierre incident, you know, um, just other things that kind of surrounded the program. I think he was probably looking for a fresh start and thought maybe Iowa, you know, you can wear out your welcome a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so. And Uh-oh, double blackout. Hopefully. Hopefully you can come back. Let's wait a second here. We'll give him a minute. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. I just can't see it. You're, it's all black. Let me see if I can do the camera. I don't know why it's not popping up here.
I thought you hit a blackout again. All right, let's see. Uh, I should be on. You can hear me though, right? I can hear you. I just can't see you. All right. Well, we're going to uh, try to reach back out to Adam and see if we can finish the interview up. But uh, thanks, everybody, for staying patient during. Uh, oh, here, is he back? All right, we got you back. Jeez, technical difficulties. Man, I need to get like we need to call down there and get you an assistant or something. <laughs> uh, but um, oh, yeah, so talking ahead. about Alford, right? Yeah. Um, I had a I had a great relationship with him and he there's no way I would have got a snuff or a sniff at the NBA if it would not have been, you know, with his help, uh, you know, just everything I kind of offensively got when I came here, I, I was a, I had a lot to learn, you know, not that Iowa state didn't teach me a lot, but there again, we didn't do a lot of offensive breakdown stuff. It was very uh, defensive and rebound and oriented oriented. And so when I came in here, he, he really took my game to another level and, you know, just a, a great family man, good person. Um, you know, I, I think the world of him, my family does too. And so, yeah, after big games or, you know, uh, certain things that, you know, his kids or things that they've done, I mean, we still converse every once in a while through text message or on the phone. And, you know, I, I, w- I want to see him be extremely successful. So, yeah. How's he, how's he doing right now? Is he at, um, is it Nevada? Yeah. He's at the university of Nevada. They, um, uh, I, I watched their last, one of their last games, they had an upset on, um, was it Boise state? I think at Nevada. Um, but there again, this is such a weird year with COVID and protocols and, you know, yeah. he, him just taking over, I think within the last, this is his second year there. So I'm sure he's looking to, you know, build his program and he's got coach Neil on staff, who was an assistant when I was here. Um, and he's got a couple other assistants that I think Glenn Worley's another one that played at Iowa. Um, he's on his staff. He's on his staff, so I think he's well, I trying to. I didn't know that. He's trying to get the troops all aligned, and and I'm sure recruiting is going to be a big focus here in the next two years for him. Okay, we were always thinking for sure that if he was ever going to leave Iowa, he was going to go to Indiana. That was always the yep. the rumor, and that's just never worked out, never happened. So we were we were always surprised. Those rumors were always floating around and happening every single time that he'd have a good season and there was possibilities, you know, cause there was um, a little bit of instability with the Indiana head coaching job during that time. So yeah. there was always a lot of rumors about him potentially going there. Well, and I think too, that's stuff that he couldn't control. Um, you know, so I think that that's what makes it kind of tough in those situations where, you know, I, I remember being anxious, you know, uh, right after my junior year, you know, there's always talks after us having a good year, like if he'd leave and, you know, obviously I didn't want to play for anybody else, but, um, you know, he, he kind of said, I can't control a lot of this stuff. A lot of it's just out there. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's even pre-social media days, right? We talked about Eustachy. I mean, that's in days where we had a little social media presence, but not like it is today. And yeah. so, um, yeah, he could only control what he could control. And I think it was a good move for him to go out to New Mexico. He, he did a really good job out there, had a lot of good teams. And the next move was to go to UCLA, which... I mean, that's probably one of those lifetime jobs, right? Kentucky, UCLA. Yeah. You, know, you start naming some of the big programs where, hey, we're, what programs do you have a chance of winning a national title? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he had 
what's one of the ball kids out there. He had a uh, PJ Lamello? Leaf. Oh, okay. uh, was it? Well, he had Lamelo, but then, yeah, uh, there was um, a scandal. But he had the uh, Leangelo or something. I can't remember. Oh, what's that one? It was the oldest one. Anyway, he had he had some good teams out there. But when you Russell Westbrook, I think it was another guy he had on the team. Um, when those guys are out there and they're only there a year or two, that's going to be hard as a coach, right? You recruit these high talent, you know, yeah. and, and they're there for, you know, 12 months or 24 months and they're out of the program. Um, that had to be new for him, right? The, that kind of caliber of player coming in and being gone within a year. So yeah, I'm sure that yeah. was an adjustment. Yeah, I think that's an adjustment for a lot of coaches at that really high level that it's a it's a different game coaching guys that are only going to be there for a year. And that one year, they're not there for a full year. So you can't really develop guys when they're in yeah. and out that quick. And so um, that that's pretty tough. Um, wanted to ask you quick, too, about your transition into the NBA. Um, the 13th pick in the second round for the New Orleans Hornets um, signed a multi-year deal with them. Um, and then you were pretty not too long after that shipped off to Houston. Um, what was it like the transition into the NBA, um, the culture adapting to that? Um, how difficult was that? And, and did you enjoy it? No, it was great. I, so when I was done my senior year, um, I went out to Portsmouth and then I ended up graduating early. I had my degree pretty much wrapped up anyway and ended up taking a few classes, uh, finals to get done I, I flew out to LA and I trained out there for two three months prior to the draft and you know was going against an NBA type talent every day even former NBA guys or current NBA guys with their season being over um, we were playing training two three times a day I was in the best shape of my life and I felt like my game was probably in the best it's it's ever been uh, having that kind of focus and you know I went around and I think I had 13 different workouts with 13 or 14 different teams. Sometimes they doubled up on a couple workouts, but I had some really good feedback and thought I had a shot at, at, at getting a second round draft pick. And, you know, lo and behold, I uh, had a good workout with New Orleans. Um, at that time, they were in Oklahoma City and they were going to be in the process of moving back down. And it ended up being a good fit. They were looking for a shooting guard, uh, practice guy uh, that could fill in some spots. And, you know, I went into that season, uh, ended up signing for the year, which was a big deal for a second round guy. But, you know, I went in and I just said, hey, every day I'm going to get better and I'm going to leave it all out here. And I can remember a couple practices. One, we had Peja Stojakovic on the team and I was going nuts, like flying around, diving on the floor. <laughs> and he huh. goes, Rook, you got to take it easy. You're going to hurt somebody out here. Huh. And I just told him, I said, hey, I, I – I may not have it tomorrow, right? Like I've got to be out here busting my butt every day. It yeah. doesn't matter if it's a, a dummy drill or what. But um, my first preseason game, uh, I think I had 20 points in like 19 minutes. It was against the Pacers. Or, excuse me. First one, I think I had 12 points. Um, it was in Oklahoma City against Houston. And then the second one, I had 20 points in like 19 minutes. Third game, I played less, but had still had like five, six points. So I was playing really well and the GM had brought me in and just said, Hey, we're, we're getting a lot more out of you than what we originally thought. Just be patient. So I rode the bench the first couple of weeks of the season and was just looking for a, a time when one of the starters or one of the bench guys, you know, take a breather, need some rest and maybe take a night off or two. And yeah. it wasn't long after that conversation with the GM, I, I came down and practiced on a guy's foot, ended up pretty much snapping every ligament in my ankle 
Uh, and I, and I'd never really been hurt in college. I had a streak going on for how many games, you know, uh, in a row with the start and I just could not get healthy. I mean, as much, I'm telling you, I was doing therapy four or five times a day. I just could not get that thing right. And I mean, in hindsight, if I would have broke it, I probably would have been back quicker. But by the time I finally got back and ready to go again, you know, New Orleans was kind of struggling financially. They were looking to make some moves. I think we were number two in the West. They ended up putting in a trade in order to make the trade go through. They had to throw in a couple bottom feeders, myself and another guy. And that's ultimately what sent me to Houston. Houston wasn't looking to acquire anybody. So I pretty much got passed on after that. And um, yeah, ended up having an opportunity to go overseas or go to the D League. And I ended up going back to Des Moines and, and joining Horner. And I think Curtis Stinson was there. Uh, Doug Thomas was there. I ended up kind of finishing out the last three, four weeks of the year with uh, with the D-League. And that was the Iowa Energy, correct? Yep, that was the Iowa Energy. How was that reuniting with those guys and getting to play together again? I bet that was pretty fun. It was. It was good. And, and even like Curtis Stinson, right, an Iowa State fan, always admired him and what he did in college. It was great to kind of connect with those guys and – also, too, we had uh, uh, Nick Nurse was our head coach. Um, Nate Bjorken was the assistant. Well, Nate's now the head coach at the Indiana Pacers. Obviously, uh, Nick Nurse, head coach of, of Toronto. It was, uh, it was a good four weeks. And, you know, we, we were all kind of passionate. We were trying to make a big playoff run. The hard part at the time with the D-League, and if you ever talk to Horner, you're literally getting guys ushered in from, like, the Bulls or from, you know, whatever team – they're there for one or two games stint and then they're out. Those guys, a lot of times are trying to put up numbers and yeah. it's nothing against them, but we kind of came together and we were really wanting to make a push to try to win and get to the playoffs. And, you know, some of these guys got put down from Chicago. They just wanted to come in and I can remember one game, Shannon Brown, I think it was in Indiana. We were playing in like Fort Wayne. He's, somebody passes the ball inbounds and Horner's getting ready to run the play. And like Shannon just takes it out of his hands and <laughs> takes the ball to court and Horner's looking at me, just shaking his head. And, you know, once again, those guys are in a different spot. They're trying to put up numbers and showcase where we were trying to get a win. And so that's what kind of made it hard, but I'm telling you, Nick nurse, Bjorkren, those guys were awesome to play for uh, in that month. Yeah, I remember when you guys were reunited there. That was kind of a big deal for Hawkeye fans. They were really excited to to get out and watch you play. And uh, I, I really feel like that's a league that's got a, a lot of untapped potential to make it a really watchable sport. You know, like like minor league baseball. You know, that's a, a an a, one of the best sports in the world. Yep. And, you know, everybody, the, the teams that um, ha- are tied to those cities, the fans are super loyal and, and go to the games. And, you know, I feel like that's just an untapped thing with, you know, even with the NFL and, and with the NBA that they haven't really f- made their, their minor league systems flourish to the level that they, that they could. Yeah, no, I agree. And there's a lot of good talent that leaves to, to go overseas and play. And it would be nice to kind of harness and get some of those guys back. You know, because you're always like, what happened to this guy or this guy? I mean, there's a ton of good talent over there that could be playing back here in the States. And obviously money becomes a big deal. Um, you know, it's easy to go after. I mean, you could corner Bruner, myself. We all, I think Bruner played almost 10 years in Italy. Um, it's a pretty good lifestyle over there. And I think that's what leads those guys to say, hey, you know, it's nice and convenient as the, the G League or D League is. Uh, we can go make a lot more money overseas. And yeah you know, take care of ourselves later on. 
And you played for a short stint in Jerusalem, am I right? So same thing. I got healthy. Uh, that summer I went to uh, summer league again with, with New Orleans. And then I had a couple contract offers. One was Jerusalem. And uh, I always heard good things about playing professional basketball in Israel. And so my wife, and at the time we had an eight week old daughter, I ended up signing a contract, went over to Jerusalem. Um, and once again, was playing at a really high level. Uh, I could tell probably a month into the season, my foot was bothering me. And I'm like, I, I hope I don't have a stress fracture and ended up going up for go baseline to go up on a dunk. And my foot just kind of popped on me. So I broke a fifth metatarsal, had to come back to the States, have surgery on that. And then by the time I got rehabbed and came back, I, the season was kind of on its kind of towards the end. And so okay. I played a little bit there, but once again, injury plagued. And um, even after that season, I had two sports hernias that had to be meshed back together. So I had to take like the next year off. And that following year, um, when I felt healthy, I had a deal to go down to uh, Dallas with the Mavericks for their uh, training camp. Did that, had another deal to go back overseas and ended up turning that down and saying, I want to start raising a family. And yeah. I was kind of done with, it's hard. All my family's here. My wife's family's here. You know, my grandparents were here. Uh, I wanted to watch my brother, um, you know, go through college and high school. And so it, it was a, it was a tough decision, but I, it was also hard for me to have my kids overseas for almost the entire year away from grandma and grandpa and all our family. So I made the right decision to kind of cut the strings and, and get into the real world. Did your brother ever get a hard time at Iowa state for your transfer? Did he ever have to deal with any <laughs> of the, any crap after that? Uh, maybe a little bit, but he, he handled it well. Uh, it was, I think by that time it came through, people had kind of long forgot about me. So. Okay. We haven't forgot. I still remember, man. I'll never forget. None of the, <laughs> all the Iowa Hawkeye fans will never forget too, because you were such a pivotal part of the program. And um, you're, every time we talk about the greatest players to ever play at Iowa, your name always comes up and a uh, lot of fond memories uh, of watching you play. Um, right now, you like we said, you're working out, is it Wells Fargo and Coralville as a financial advisor? Yep. Wells Fargo, Wells Fargo advisors. Um, I've been here for what is almost almost five years. Okay. Um, yep, working as a financial advisor, branch manager here at our branch here in Coralville, and got four kids. Uh, Jersey twelve. Um, she's my oldest. I've uh, got Jace nine. Jet, a uh, little boy who is uh, six, and I've got Jordy who's about eighteen months. So oh, jeez. Got the two girls and the boys in the middle. It's it's crazy at the Luska house. Isn't it funny how like you love your kids more than life itself. I mean, more than yep. anything. And you, somebody asks you, how old are your kids? And you got to say, Oh crap. I got to really think here for a minute. Like this is how old they are. And it makes <laughs> well, you feel like you're like a crap parent, but it's like, no, that's not the case. I love my kids more than anything in the world. Yep. It's just, it takes you a minute. You get put on the spot and you panic. So you kind of think like, well, Oh we man. had them spread out every, every third. I'm just making sure I'm like 12, nine, six. I gotta, I gotta get it all, all okay. put together. And we got all J names. So, Mm. Jersey, Jace, Jet, Jordy. I, when you're yelling at him, I could go through three, four names before I can finally get to the right one. So, uh, we got any future Hawkeyes there? I don't know. I the boys love sports. My daughter does too. Um, I want them to play everything, and that's kind of one advice I'd give. Don't. Yeah. I think a lot of times there's specialization. Just have fun. I mean, even 
like I said, Bruner, Horner, all of us talk. Some of our best years, not only were at Iowa, but playing baseball in the summer, you know, at Iowa high school baseball or going to tournaments and or football games. I mean, I, I want my kids to, whether it's speech, drama, band, you know, my one son plays the guitar. I want them to do as much as they can, um, you know, and stay busy. Yeah. Hey, well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule out there in Coralville. And um, just wanted to thank you for being so so easy to talk to and um we appreciate you uh, you know saying yes to sitting down and talking with us like i said we got a ton of awesome memories uh, of you as a player and one of the one of the best hawkeye basketball players of all time adam haluska thank you very much for taking time to be on nebraska hawks nest absolutely hey i love what you're doing out there in nebraska keep it going keep the numbers rising and uh like i said i'm a western iowa guy so Right. seeing nebraska news and husker stuff i it's good to see some black and gold on that side i tell them we're taking over we're taking over <laughs> we're moving football we're moving sure. on in and basketball <laughs> yeah, basketball it's you got to get rid of creighton and you know it's they're uh, tough they're tough yeah yep. that's a good program all right adam well have a great rest of the day man i hope maybe we can have you on again in a couple months or something and just you know touch base we'll always have a ton of questions you know for your career and everything you got going on but wish your family nothing but the best and uh, go hawks all right stay warm be safe we'll see you go hawks all right go hawks